I'll hide it. Hey, welcome to uh, You'll Die Trying. I'm Nathan Morris. And I'm Dr. Jonathan Carroll. And uh, this is a podcast of two men sitting in the snow talking about trying to live a life that matters and becoming a better version of ourselves. And it is by all means our privilege and honor that you join us. Yes, it is. Thank you for being here. This is our 20th episode. Yay! Confetti! Ganons! There's a big surprise coming. It was promised in number 19 that the uh, 20th episode was going to bring a surprise. And it will. <laughs> it will bring a surprise. We will surprise our listeners or we will die trying. Yes. always talking about how we're going to die trying being better versions of ourselves. Let's be very, very honest right now. We are going to die. We, uh, you and I are constantly around loss, loss of life, uh, loss of relationship, and of course, even loss of property, grief everywhere. And, and when I think of all those things, we have to think of someone or something that's going to protect us and those we love. Someone that I think of is Robert Edge with Kentucky Farm Bureau Insurance. Right here in our community, always ready to serve. He's an agent, he's big on commitment, and he is committed to my family, personally and professionally. If you're thinking of insurance, if you're thinking of home, auto, life, think no other or no further than Robert Edge with Kentucky Farm Bureau Insurance. Call Robert at 270-929-4215. So, uh, Nathan, why don't you say a bit about our surprise? Uh, I can't. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Let's talk a minute about fault finding. Okay. And blaming. Okay. <laughs> Let me know. No, there's no need. There's no need to teach a lesson here. The other day, we were talking about how we we're excited about the 20th episode. Megan's excited. Joy's excited. We're Everybody's excited. excited about it. Yes. The, I hope our, our, two listen, our two listeners are excited. Thanks, Joy. We said that we were going to have. Uh, something to share with you. And the only thing that we can share with you right now is that what we were going to share with you, we can't share with you. There are reasons, good, solid, natural reasons. Miraculous reasons. Absolutely. I think that's the best word we can use here. I think that's a good word. Miraculous. Mm -hmm. It's just not time. Yeah, there is a, there's a surprise coming though. <laughs> and it's going to be good. Carrot. Consider this the Annunciation. Yeah. A kind of an immaculate surprise. Right. Uh, but it's delayed. Mm -hmm. So today, uh, you're stuck with us, and we're grateful that you're here. I would like to uh, draw our attention <laughs> with your... Okay. Go ahead and no, say no, it. No, 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 no. No, no, no this is ridiculous. Okay. Dr. Carroll is attached to the wall. He is about 10 feet from the wall. There's an outlet there, and there's a cell phone charger plugged in that is about 10 foot in length. It is blue. It looks like an Ethernet cable, and it's connected to his cell phone. It is the most ridiculous thing I've seen. To, I'm going to share it. Let's share it. I'm sharing a picture of this. I have learned, <clears throat> excuse me, to always be prepared. But the last podcast you were running around. I had nothing. I didn't have my <laughs> laptop. I didn't have my charging cable. Now, all I have is a 10-foot charging cord. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, you know, I've been thinking about our podcast 
I know that shocks you. And as of Terribly. as I've listened to other podcasts, by the way, and I have to say, I mean, I, I'm always impressed by people's ability to share their lives and their knowledge and wisdom and experience in ways that to me are life-giving and in some ways even transformative. How amazing it is that somebody would message us and tell us, hey, checked out your podcast and y'all said something and it made a difference. And I just, another time, want to say a heartfelt thank you to you who join us in this journey. It's such a gift to us, really. And uh, I know I can say for Nathan and for myself that we're grateful beyond belief. I just think that this medium is powerful. I want to say a little bit about social media today and, and social media interactions. But first, you know, here we are, we're using a technological medium to communicate. But I think that this, to me, is the purest form of media. Because all this is literally is two human voices sharing in conversation and nothing else. No special effects, uh, no fake news, no sentimentalism, um, just two people sharing in conversation. And it's great that other people can listen in and probably yell back at us and, you know, maybe even affirm or disagree with us. That's wonderful. I think this is a very pure form of communication and uh, I'm honored to be able to uh, to share in it. And it's it's so much fun. I have a blast day in and day out to hear from people, people such as yourselves who are listening to what Dr. Carol and I have to say. And I take away from you so many nuggets. I mean, I find myself always saying, oh, there's a nugget, there's a nugget. And to get the affirmation from you, our listeners to say, hey, that encouraged me. Like the email we got the other day that uh, this gentleman was driving in Indiana and he sees a billboard that has Abraham Lincoln quote, and then it said civility. And he said, I was listening to the episode on being civil. Oh, wow. And that was really cool. That was actually to my personal Facebook wow, that email. Speaking of Facebook, please visit facebook.com slash you'll die trying. Please visit us at Instagram at you'll dying, po- uh, you'll die trying podcast. Die trying podcast. Absolutely. You die just, trying. I'm, that's it. Just die trying podcast. That, that one place, please stay in touch. And thank you very much for doing so. I was driving the other day, and uh, I watched an interaction. Um, speaking of uh, of people being in conversation with one another, I don't think it would qualify as a conversation. There was a, a person sitting in a turn lane and uh, was awaiting his turn on the green ball, yielding to make his left turn crossing oncoming traffic. And he made a decision that was probably a little premature, and uh, the oncoming driver agreed that that was a little premature and communicated with him. And I think what would be considered a fairly colloquial way, you know, a hand gesture, letting him know that he was aware that he was there and shouldn't be. And I thought, golly, it's so easy for people when they don't have the opportunity to see each other or talk to each other, to be unkind to one another. The guy just, he made a decision. He had plenty of time and he didn't put anyone in danger. We've all done it. Can I make it? Can I not? We go for it. It's fine. Nobody, you know, no harm, no foul. But the guy coming for whatever reason thought that it was a bad decision, felt entitled to that space and let him have it. You know, let him, you could tell he was angry yelling inside the cab of his vehicle, like screaming, you know, at this person. Like day ruined. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah. And I thought, first of all, wow, what happened either to that guy this morning or for his entire life to make him so angry? Then I felt bad. I'm like, gosh, he's obviously hurt. He's probably had a, a miserable last few months. Maybe his relationships or any, I don't know. It's kind of where I tend to go. But 
why doesn't that same thing happen when we're coming out of aisle nine in the newly redefined and redecorated grocery store, local or regional, national chain that we have here in Kentucky, when I'm coming out of aisle nine and there is a traffic jam in the main corridor, it's so... I'm so sorry. Excuse me. I'm, I didn't mean to get in your way and I cut. Oh, no worries. No worries. If we did that same thing in our cars, there would be middle fingers flying, curse words flying. But in the grocery store, we're like, oh, it's no problem. We're all just in here doing the same thing. What do you think is the difference? They're able to hide. I don't know. I mean, people are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. No, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I think, I think there's, there's whenever you are face to face with someone, yes. your feet are held to the fire. It's like I need to continue to be a human. Yeah. A, be an ethical human being. But when you're in your vehicle and you feel that this, you can escape. Yes, you have the power of the speed, the power of being ensconced in this, you know, cage of metal, feeling fairly probably invulnerable. Uh you can get away, as you said. And uh you don't you, there's no there's no accountability. There's nobody there to say, hey, that was, not, I mean, unless the person's driving with a particularly conscientious passenger, spouse, or child who will call them out on it. There's no accountability. Whereas in a grocery store, you, you might have 10 people around you saying, hey, 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 relax. You know, it's no big deal. We're all just trying to do the same thing. It's potato chips. And I kind of think that that's what social media has done to us in our relationships. Social media is um, the vehicle in which we move around the world and feel like we can basically say anything we want to anyone we want in any way that we want and expect there to be zero consequence and we have zero accountability. And I think that's a problem. I was reading, uh, I like to read, you know, like the trending, the those statuses that are going and being shared thousands of times and just reading the commentary. I would be afraid to say some of the stuff that people say. On Facebook, for instance, yesterday I was reading something. It was probably political. Actually, it definitely was political, which I won't touch on. But it was these people, their, their profile photos are showing, their full names are showing, and they're saying this ignorant mm-hmm. statement. <laughs> I would never do such a thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They do. They feel like they're invincible. I think that's one of the major critiques that critics of social media have with this form of technology is that it is... a. Uh, it's a problem. Fix it. Okay. I'm going to fix it. How? Well, I think by uh, our having this conversation, I, I kind of see it as the planting of a seed. And if people who are listening in to this conversation can commit with us to practicing uh, a kind of civil uh, and um, respectable disposition and demeanor in social media... And when they see things that are maybe a little less than, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Exemplary? Yeah, that's perfect. Perfect. Then we have a choice. Do we invite the author of that to say, you know, I wonder if there's another way we could say that? Or do we just ignore it? I didn't ignore it the other day. Do you want to hear what I did? I was thinking about this. This truck pulls up. It's a semi-truck, and we have... Our on-site crematory, you have, by law, to place a loved one in what's called an alternative container. 
It's a minimal container required by the state of Kentucky for a loved one to be cremated. Okay. So we get those delivered all the time because cremation's on the rise. R and L carriers brings all of our cremation containers, our cremation inserts for our rental caskets. I'm getting to the point. This guy pulls up on fifth street, pulls over and he has his hazard lights on. And we roll out there with all of our church trucks, those portable trucks that you place all of the cardboard Those containers on. Yeah, they, yeah, there's there's no easy way to do this because obviously a semi can't access the garage, the parking lot. They're not going to be able to access anything or anywhere in which we need it. So it takes a little bit to get there. So when we get there, the driver is not in a good mood. He's like, can you not think of an easier way or better way to do this? Why don't you bring a truck over? Wow. And I said to him, sir, do you have a truck for us? And then John, my brother says, sir, do you have a truck in the back of the semi that we could borrow? Because we would have to load the truck, unload the truck. It'd be actually more trips. And mm-hmm. I said, actually, I have a question for you. I said, you seem like you're having a tough day. <laughs> Good for you. He <laughs> looked at me like a deer in headlights and he was like, oh, well, I guess I need to work on that. And he was silent the rest of the time of our interaction, which I was fine with, but I called yeah. him on it Yeah, because he's being very hateful. Yeah. I think you did the exact right thing because someone else in a similar circumstance might decide, yeah, you know what? I'm going to share with you what happened in the last delivery when somebody treated me like a dog because I'm just here to provide a service and apparently I was interrupting their day and I was the worst thing that had happened to them and it made me feel bad about myself and now I'm going to come do it to 10 other people and I'm expecting the same treatment and you know that would have been a really cool way to open up about that but you know who knows we could have also just been dealing with someone who's kind of a a chronically critical or negative person I kind of sense that was the case like he had life, looked like he just carried it on his shoulders a little bit. And I wasn't going to let it affect me. I mean, let's be honest. It's part of my job to get those containers. I don't mind it. Obviously, yeah. I'm still working here. Yeah. And that was the first time I've had that interaction. I've never seen that driver before. Usually my interactions with R&L are great. That was one of, my gosh, 100 Wow. Well, I, well, I like what you did because, you you know, you didn't pretend like it wasn't happening. I think that this is a, a key component of emotion, emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is a, a kind of a scientific exploration and a, a discussion about what parts of ourselves uh, interact with the world around us and how aware we are of that. So everybody knows what IQ is, right? Intellectual quotient. It's like the degree to which we are able to know certain things intellectually. But then there's this thing called EQ, which stands for emotional quotient. We call it emotional intelligence. And there are, you know, maybe let's say 15 skills that comprise emotional intelligence. Skills like self-regard or, or self-confidence is another way of saying that. Um, assertiveness, self-actualization, which means the degree to which you're comfortable going after improvement, bettering yourself, taking classes, learning skills, that kind of thing. Emotional self-awareness, emotional self-expression. So what is going on in me and how comfortable am I articulating that? Impulse control, reality testing, etc. These are all the components that make up our emotional intelligence. And by and large, I think most of us have work to do to increase emotional intelligence. One of the things I do at the clinic is provide assessments for individuals and companies, corporations, and work with especially HR teams and executive uh, teams on building emotional intelligence within leadership. Reality testing is one of those emotional skills. That is being able to see what is actually there and doing something about it, not pretending that it isn't there. So what you did as an act of emotional intelligence is you named what was happening. This is a person who's having a negative reaction, seems like you must be having a difficult day. It had a way of kind of disarming him 
not to the point of warm fuzzies and hugs and high fives, but to the point of, okay, I hear you. I'll work on that. And I'm going to just continue to quietly do what I do and we'll do it together and we'll get it done. And that's, that's what happened. So kudos and uh, uh, three cheers for uh, emotional intelligence and the way that it improves your everyday life. It's important stuff. I, it's funny how whenever you go to do that though, there's a part of you that's like, oh, I'm not, and then you just kind of go for it. It's kind of like jumping off the diving board for the first yeah. time, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It needed to be done. I was glad, it, I was glad to do it. Felt right. better about it, even though he did finish the entire interaction silently. <laughs> there was okay. not a single word, even so far as to pull the paper out of his pocket that I had to sign. Oh, just <laughs> silent, silently. Mm-hmm. Silent pen. There's some theater to that. You know, when you look back on that, you think that that was kind of a dramatic, the silence is, is dramatic. It was very dramatic. He entered into a role. He was playing a role. I never knew that adults could be so, but they are. You know, I bet that's a role he's played his entire life. That's a shame. I, I bet that anytime he was uh, called out on something, uh, he Victim. he learned for whatever reason to shut down. Mm. Isn't it? It's so powerful when you have those kinds of interactions and you realize, man, we are all that way. Because that just could have easily been me. That could have just as easily been me having a rough day, being crabby to someone and them saying, hmm, rough day. And I'm saying, okay, all right, I, I hear you. I'll just shut it down. You know, I, I, that could have been me if I'm not paying attention, if I'm not being intentional about being compassionate and kind. Right. So this whole thing, uh, I think, is about reactivity. You know, one of the ways that our uh, anxiety individually and corporately, whether it be a family, uh, a workplace, uh, or us as a society, you know, there there is anxiety writ large in society. We see it all the time. I mean, you, you see anxiety played out on the political stage, on religious stages, on you know war theaters. It's all uh, all of it. All of it is symptomatic of of unmanaged and unwieldy anxiety alive in all of us. And as we've talked about before, anxiety is nothing to be afraid of. It's neither good nor bad. It's a force. It's an energy. And we just have to understand it, right? But I think that what we're running into with the guy in the turn lane and the oncoming driver, or if we were to run into someone who was crappy to us at aisle nine, or the RNL guy, it's reactivity. I would like to invite us into a conversation about what it would look like to begin taking some steps to manage our reactivity, to regain some control of our emotional selves, much like what you described. Uh, in trying to acknowledge a situation and not return uh, anxiety for anxiety. Um, There's a text in the New Testament that says, you know, do not return evil for evil, but do that which is good, right, in Romans. So there's this uh, opportunity that we have. Someone comes at us with their bad attitude. We have some options. We can give an in-kind gift and and return it to them. Uh, We can return it to them in spades. We ourselves could shut down. We, or we could do all kinds of other things. You know, the driver coming toward the, you know, he could just as easily have let that go as, as to react the way he did. What in your mind, and, and we'll both think about this together, what are some of your ways, what are the ways that we practice managing our reactivity to keep that immaturity, to keep that old um, childhood role of whether it's shutting down, being the martyr, being the victim. What are the ways that you and I have to practice managing ourselves so that we're in those situations, our anxiety doesn't get the best of us, and we maintain a professionalism and uh, a compassionate stance toward those around us? Our brains are so powerful, they create scenarios a lot. 
So we oftentimes will create a scenario that doesn't yet happen, won't even happen, may or may not happen. That causes anxiety. So when you have a family, for instance, coming in, the dynamics of the family are a little bit odd or uh, a strain, a strained, a estranged. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that the right? Estranged. Thank you. You you kind of are like, oh, well, this is going to be a hard arrangement or whatever. You create this and then everything's fine. So what I've done is, is I don't create the scenario before the scenario even happens. That helps. Mm-hmm. Good. That's so a, you don't tell yourself a story that isn't true. Correct. Good. That's the first thing that I do. Another thing is I took away from a previous pot, previous podcast when we were talking about the breathing exercise and how I have my Apple Watch. You notice I'm wearing it again because I was referring to how I, the Apple Watch has that feature. There's a breathe feature. Taking a deep breath, you said, totally restarts and kind of recharges. Super helpful because it does two things. One, it kind of centers you. Two, it it's a pause button for you. So Absolutely. if you're getting ready to say something really stupid or reactive in this instance, you take that deep breath, you take that moment. Next thing you know is you're able to kind of compartmentalize and file it away appropriately. Next thing you know, you don't act like an idiot. I love that. And I think one of the places where this is most important, let me say two of the places where this is most important, uh, of course, at home. Home. (laughs) Uh, That's the most important place and workplace. Uh, especially for people who work in teams or in groups and work with other people. Workplace communication being the most important facet of, of, of workplace uh, dynamics and ethos. Uh, communication breaks down most often because a major player fails to manage his or her reactivity. And that person can single-handedly change the mood of of the workplace. I know that in, in my own home, um, when, not if, sadly, but when I come into the, uh, the family ethic uh, context with a, anything less than stellar attitude, uh, it modifies the shape of the attitude of the family that was pre-existing my being there. So when I come in, if I'm in not a good mood, it changes everything because Joy and I are the major players. And we're the adults and we're the shapers of the dreams. We're the shapers of the personalities. We're the shapers of the, of the culture of that family. And if one or both of us is in a space, which of course everyone's entitled to be, right? Uh, it changes things, you know? So we have to be aware that our presence in the lives of people around us changes the tenor, the nature, the color of the interactions. And that's true in a workplace too. So, you know, for you coming in as, um, as owner, operator, uh, managing all of these people, if you are in, a, in an anxious place and are reacting in anxious ways, as anyone is prone to do from time to time, it changes the landscape of, of, the, uh, of the workplace. So let's think about some specific and concrete and positive ways to kind of change the course of our reactivity so that we can make our workplace and make our our living places better. Do it. First, we tend to make assumptions. We've talked before in the four agreements about not making assumptions. We want to make sure that we come to situations from a place of curiosity rather than conclusion. I'm writing this down. When we come to a place uh, or to a situation having already drawn a conclusion, then we are, as you just alluded to, 
poised for a reaction of some kind. Anger, stress, frustration, disappointment, those things cannot be avoided, but their effects can be evaded. We can get around that common, oftentimes childhood learned reaction uh, protocol that we think is hardwired in us, and we can do something different. I think one of the most powerful things about the human being is resilience, our ability to rise up in difficult circumstances and press on. And I think we don't have to wait for uh, a crisis uh, or a life-altering tragedy or trauma to happen in order for us to rise up and be resilient. I think every day presents us with innumerable opportunities to do something different. That's if I could have something on a license plate and was willing to pay for it, and it was a license plate that was slightly longer than my bumper, uh, do something different would be what I would want on there. Do it differently. I was watching, there's a new series on Netflix. It's called Medal of Honor. Encourage every single one of you who are listening to watch that on Netflix. Uh, Take a moment right now, actually just say thank you to our veterans, military men and women who are out there currently having served or are serving our country. Thank you very much. This is about uh, men and women who have received the Medal of Honor, whether it be uh, most of which have received it posthumously. Posthumously. And it talks about people who are resilient uh, in, in their actions, people, ordinary people like yourself, myself, I'm not comparing myself to these incredible soldiers. I'm just saying that these ordinary people did something extraordinary because human beings, when they are, you know, backed into a corner or whether that be in the workplace or in this instance on the battlefield, I mean, we can do some magnificent, miraculous, incredible things if we just kind of get outside of ourselves. People are amazing. People are amazing. You should definitely check out Medal of Honor. I, I think that was just an opportunity for me to plug that, to be quite honest with you, because I just love that show. I love our country and I love our military. Thank you for saying that. That was a worthwhile pause. Um, so yeah, check your assumptions, stay open to being wrong, and... Um, I think we should always assume that other people with whom we're in work, life, and communication have positive intent. Stay open to being wrong. I love that. I just wanted to slide that in there. Did you all hear that? Everyone, did you all hear that? Stay open to being wrong. Do you know why that's important that I say that? I love it. Because I struggle with that. So you're you're preaching to yourself and encouraging yourself. But I didn't take it. I mean, I took it as encouragement myself. I think it's... It's great to know and, and to be okay with being wrong. There's nothing more, in my opinion, mature, powerful, yeah. mature, yes, to then to say, you know what? I was wrong. Oh, I'm so it, terrible at it. I'm terrible well, at it. Well, you know what? It's a disease. Work on that because I yeah. think that there's something really incredible and it takes away any power that anyone else has yeah, against you over you. Truly disarming. And it, and it keeps you, you know, uh, still powerful. I don't know. I am truly sorry and I was wrong are three very powerful phrases that when used sincerely have the power to uh, change the world. That's awesome. Another thing that we can do to uh, try to, I think, shift from a very reactive state uh, to a more calm one, which of course I think should be the goal of all of us all the time, is to uh, what they say they call getting back into your body. Breathing. Sitting back in your chair, if you're seated, unfolding your arms, being um, 
being open, recognizing, you know, if you're standing, plant your feet, just feel where you are. It sounds weird. But what happens is in our anxiety, we tend to have disembodied experiences. We tend to react outside of the way we would if we knew we were being watched. It's very powerful to watch those shows that are called quote unquote reality um, TV, which of course is all scripted, um, that show what people are like when they're being watched. The old phrase, character is who you are when no one is watching, plays here. Um, If we all knew that there were four cameras trained on us at all times, and we cared um, that we present ourselves uh, at our best, I think we would be different than the way most of us are when we get in the front seat of the car to drive or, you know, we're waiting in a grocery checkout line impatiently or something has happened and we're waiting on a, uh, a contractor or a service provider or a vendor to show up and do what they said they would do and they're late. I mean, if we, if we realized that we had people around us and, and we were being watched, I think we would be more cautious. Well, what happens is we disembody ourselves. So the idea of being outside of ourselves and looking back toward ourselves, we have some awareness, some perspective. That's what getting in your body actually does. Constantly choosing to relax in the moment. You know, you, you'll notice your shoulders might be a little tense. Uh, you know, you might have um, exercised if you're lucky enough to have a core, uh, your, your core muscles. Um, there's a very deceptively simple technique that will reverse the domino effect of your reactivity. And that is to simply change your posture, be aware of how you're sitting, how you're standing, what your facial expression is, what muscles are being tensed, just literally and physically relax. Folding of your arms is not good. What about when you put your arm, like when I listen to you talk, for instance, I'm kind of have my hand on my face. That's nothing wrong with that, is there? Nothing disrespectful about I that. I do. I do that all the time. I think it's, I mean, that's intent listening. I'm always very focused when I do that. Yeah. I'm, I do that too. Okay. That's a, I do that sometimes at home and, and, and Joy will say you're, you're taking the therapist stance. Like that's therapist posture. You know, the, the, the hand just kind of propping On up the, the temple. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, it's my way of really engaging. Like I'm, I'm there and I, I don't know what that is. I, a lot of us do it. You do it. I do it. I don't know. But it's it's a way for us to, I think, be very conscientious in our engagement with what the other person is saying. Yeah, like if I want to remember something, I cross my finger like this because it's focused energy. So if you tell me something, it's you're going to notice it now. Sometimes I'll cross my finger, whether it's at my... Really? Yeah. Say more about that. So well, if I'm so, saying something or someone's saying something that you want to remember... Really want to remember, I will, I will cross my finger. Like kind of like, you know, when you put your finger behind your back as a kid and you're like, yeah, I'll take the trash out. You think you're cool because you crossed your finger. Like that is, I was taught that uh, in North Carolina when I was on the road, there was this uh, friend of mine that was like, yeah, I always cross my finger when I want to remember something because you're focusing on the finger and you're focusing on what they're saying, fingers and what they're saying. Very cool. Yeah. It's really weird that I do that. I'm a weirdo. I know when I'm shooting sporting clays, um, a, a man who has coached me has has said that you, you know, you don't look down the barrel through the sights necessarily for a shotgun because it's just not how it works. And you got this clay pigeon shooting through the sky or running like a rabbit along the ground. And uh, he says to you know extend your hand out on the stock. For me, I'm left-handed, so it's my right hand. For you, it might be your. 
I'm left-handed left. too. Right, we're both left-handed, so we're both we're both literally in the shotgun pose right now. <laughs> and you extend that right hand up the up the stock, and you point. Oh, because your eye will go wherever you're pointing, so you don't even have to look down the barrel. You just point, and you look look at the bird. You never have to look at the gun again. You just point at it and look at the bird. And you want to be, you know, maybe twelve inches or so in front of it because of the way the I don't know what I'm talking about. This, Traje- this is it called trajectory? The trajectory. Yes. Yeah. Good job. And uh, and you and you'll be more more likely to hit Could it. You so imagine. Could you imagine listeners who are like professional? <laughs> Someone is going to text us and be They'd like, literally be like, you sound you ridiculous. Idiots. <laughs> Stick to what you know, which is nothing. And stop talking about what I know. Field and Stream Magazine is going to do a, <laughs> a write up on us. Garden and Gun. That'd yeah. be even better. Oh, gosh. Uh, so, other things to, 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 take into consideration with reactivity is to is to know what you're feeling this is another emotional intelligence skill emotional self-awareness what's going on in me right now how powerful would it be if you're in a meeting with someone who might be a a supervisor manager someone who's superior to us and uh, who's getting a little heated and all of a sudden she's like you know what wait one second i want to push pause give me a second i need to figure this out and then she comes back and she's like you know what i'm angry I'm angry because of this. I was pointing it at you, but it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with this. My apologies to you. Let's join our minds and figure out this. How powerful would that be? I would think, oh my gosh, this is an incredible leader. So powerful. Vulnerable, aware, intentional, honest, and unafraid. Yeah. Label your feelings. Recognize what's going on. You know how we tell our kids, use your words. We need to use our words. That's what... My wife tells me a 33-year-old male who cannot communicate. Not that I can't communicate, but sometimes I'll get my words. You'll be like, what are you trying to say? (laughs) Use your words. Use your words. Use your words. It will help you reclaim your power to choose how you want to act and how you want to feel and what you want to say in light of what's going on. Labels. Use your words. That's very powerful. Another thing is to uh, use what we talked about before, that rule of charity where you're listening for what someone is saying and for what is true about it. You're making the other person right. Not only are you open to being wrong, you're making the other person right. Uh, find out what might be true or right about what they've said and focus there. I think that's a really, really powerful way uh, to change your mindset, pull your thoughts together. Another thing, how many times are we going to say this? I think we should say it every podcast. I think maybe this should be like a part of the theme of the podcast. Sure. Don't take things personally. Yeah, definitely should be. Reactivity takes from, uh, it comes from a highly elevated sense of personal investment. I don't know why the guy drawn, coming toward the turning lane was personally invested in what was happening, other than he might think he owns the road. Or because it was his green light and he owned that space for a second. I don't know what that's about. But something had gone on in his life or in his day that had led him to being very personal, personally invested in everything going on. And you know what? I'm not saying don't care. I'm just saying reclaim your brain and don't allow things that don't matter to have power in your brain and as a result in your life. You know, your amygdala in this part of your brain that's translating feelings and thoughts all the time, it gets uh, put into overdrive in times of frenzy or chaos or 
tragedy or trauma or crisis or conflict. And we have to do our very best to reclaim that hijacked amygdala by breathing, uh, by shifting our perspective, and by remembering our skills and using them. So when you shift your focus, you're no longer focused on the thing. You're focused on yourself in the midst of the thing. How do I want to react about that? How do I want to be proactive rather than reactive? What do I want to think? What do I want to say? How do I want to feel? Can't do that if I'm so personally invested that now I'm just in a defense posture. So you want to take a step back, take your breath, reclaim your brain, and make sure that you are clear that this doesn't have to do with you personally even if something's coming at you and it's intended to be taken personally. <laughs> Whenever I'm going to start doing a thing. So Megan, when you listen to this, if you're upset with me and you say something, I'm just going to look at you and I'm going to say, I love you. What if you do that to people instead of being reactive? Yeah, there was a commercial. And you're like, there was a commercial you. about that. It, oh, was it was so thank this, you. This instead. wasn't my idea. Well, I don't think there's anything <laughs> new under the sun, says Kohelet, the teacher in Ecclesiastes. Yeah. Um, but yes, it's it's original to you. Actually, I have a quotation about that I wanted to share with you at some point. But um, there was a commercial. I don't remember what it was for in that brilliant marketing. I have no idea what product you want me to buy, but I remember the commercial. When there was a problem, it was in the produce section of a grocery store, and the woman just looked at the person and said, thank you. I don't know what it was. They didn't like her. They had done something. She had done something. They were mad at her. She just looked at him and said, thank you, and smiled. Disarm. Yes. So wonderful. Um, Don't ask me what book I'm reading. (laughs) I wasn't. I wanted to talk about... um, understanding how we think <laughs> you just you just made yourself I, laugh I, just, I did I'm sorry I want to talk about understanding how we think and making sure that we push pause long enough to know that what we're doing is the right thing I want to give everyone the gift of this the pause button when you're watching your favorite show for you Medal of Honor or Homeland or uh, we're watching a million little things so is it good oh my gosh. Do it's, you cry yet? Uh, of course. Of course you do. Why? <sighs> yeah, of course you know me. Of course I do. Yes. But, but they're for good reason. I mean, you know, it's funny because in all these shows that I watch, uh, I mean, I could I could name all the shows that I watch and there I would say 90% of them involve someone lo- has lost a parent, <sighs> which of course is, is my experience. And so all of that that dynamic and that richness and that conflict and that sadness, it comes out in so many crazy ways in people's relationships, friendships. And uh, yeah, you watch these shows that are now so beautifully written by people who are vulnerable. I mean, the show writing is so different now than it used to be. I don't know if you've, I'm sure everybody's noticed that. I'm the last one, but it's very different now. And yeah, it gets me. So whatever you're doing, Whatever it is that you're watching, you have the ability now when you have the urge to maybe use the restroom or get a drink or let the dog out to push the pause button. What does it do? Pauses. Stops the action. And you're able to do what? Your thing. Anything you want. Push, pause. Give yourself the gift of a pause button. If something's going on and you're about to light it up, you're about to send that angry text, you're about to let someone have it, you're about to yell at your child, you're about to yell at your spouse, push pause. Don't yell via text. Don't have a serious conversation via text. Tell them, Dr. J, please. I agree. I think um, textual conversations 
and communication should be logistics only. Absolutely. And What's it, your address? Here it is. So I can click it and it goes to my map or love you or see you tomorrow. <laughs> yep. No serious conversation. Confirming our meeting for 9 a.m. tomorrow. Yes. Not going to say what it's about. Not going to get into emotionally charged debate. Uh, not going to get into it. It is not helpful. And you know what? People are doing everything via text. They're yes. starting relationships via text or dating apps. Paying and, for things. And ending relationships via text. Really? Oh, Who gosh. does that? It's terrible. Sometimes it's hilarious to read, <laughs> but it's terrible. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I wanted to uh, make sure that we remember and, and give ourselves the gift, especially, especially during a holiday season. Regardless of what season it is, as you hear this, a holiday season is coming. A time when you will be spending time with people you don't see often is coming. Political conversations that you do not want to engage in are coming. Questions about your spirituality and religious conviction that you don't want to participate in either are coming. Questions about sexual ethics, question you name it, those conversations and experiences are coming. And if you don't have a pause button and all you have is a play button or a stop button, you're either in it to win it and someone's going to get hurt, or you leave, stonewalling, withdrawing, and there's the stop button. Push pause. It's nothing to say, oh, you know what? I'll be right back. Please excuse me. I just need to use the restroom. Or blame it on the cell phone. Or, you know what? Give me one second to think about that. You've said something interesting. I want to think about that. And then stuff your face with food and slowly chew so that you can formulate a thought. Oh, I thought you were going to say, like, feed your emotions. <laughs> Stress eating. Yeah, just stress eat. That's what we say all the time at home. We're watching, yeah, it was hilarious. We were watching America's Funniest Videos the other night. One of our girls was, I'm, you stre would. I'm stress you eating. You would. Hold uh, on. No, you totally would. Absolutely. <laughs> and no, I didn't cry watching that show. Not not every time. So uh, I want to say a word about uh, being wrong. You said something a minute ago about, uh, well, I guess what I said wasn't original. You know, just say I love you. It is original. Here's the beautiful thing about being wrong as it relates to creativity. When you prepare to be wrong, you have the potential to be original. If you never think you're wrong, you will never be original. Creativity always brings the risk of being wrong. And you have to be wrong a million times until that one time, and then you've just created something new. That's true not only in business and entrepreneurship and inventing and tech, it's true also in relationships. Be willing to be wrong and watch what is born out of that. I'll leave that right there. <laughs> there you have it. So, Nathan, do you see yourself as a reactive person? No. Let me ask again. Nathan, <laughs> do you see yourself as a reactive person? No. Okay. No. I uh, used to be working on it. So can I say if you're working on it? No, I don't think I over I don't think that defines me a reactive person. Do you? Do do I think that you're reactive yeah. or am I reactive? Uh, first, do you think that I'm reactive as someone who's around me a lot? You're going to say yes. I think there are moments. Uh, yes, I think there are moments. <laughs> I mean, we've committed to authenticity I'm and sure honesty. I'm, I'm sure I'm glad this podcast is about <laughs> over right now. <laughs> Once again, this is just us talking. Yeah, it is. But yeah, there are times when people do 
you know, silly things and we want to do silly things back to them. And yeah, but we, that's in the the office. That's during executive conversation. Exactly. And, yeah. I agree. I agree. Maybe that's not uh, a true definition. But yeah, I would say that we. I, I, I know that I have moments of reactivity. Absolutely. I think every human does. It's just what do you want to do with it? One of the best things I've learned is to use the pause button. It's very hard, but I do it. Uh, another great thing that I've learned is to manage it physically. Um, there is this thing that happens in us when we are stressed. Uh, we may have talked about this before, but when you are trying to start a lawnmower, if you've primed that little bubble <laughs> too many times, the um, lawnmower will flood. And as a result, it's got too much gas and it won't start. Well, that's what happens in the brain as it shoots itself with cortisol and anxious times and the brain can't think. So we can't speak. We can't make rational decisions. And we have to wait until that flooding kind of subsides and all that cortisol drains off and we're able to think again, right? So uh, that's a, that's what we call diffuse physiological arousal. That is so wild that that actually happens it's, in our minds. It's crazy. Diffuse physiological arousal is when we are in that flooded state and we cannot control ourselves. And the best thing that we can do is to rest. We have to give our, we have to physiologically self-soothe. Just relax, push pause, calm down. And remember, your goal is to be the least anxious person in the room. I appreciate each of you listening, all four of you listening today to this podcast. Does that include you? Yeah. Yes. So there's me. Your joy and your mom. You said your mom was listening, right? Uh, yeah, I think she used to. <laughs> she fell off a while ago. Seriously, thank you to all who have uh, who've made this a part of your life. I don't think you know how truly grateful we are that you would give us that honor because you could fill your mind and hearts with all kinds of things that you choose us uh, is, is such a gift to us. Thank you for joining us on this episode, our 20th of You'll Die Trying. See you next time.